the message entitled, The Apostle John. You know, shoddy investigation and police work can mean the difference between seeing the obvious from seeing the not so obvious. Take two set of footprints that are on the ground. It's a crime scene. And at first they look like they belong to the same person. But a closer look reveals that the prints are all together different. And so with John, having studied James, it is easy to assume John is just like James. But a closer look will reveal he has a unique print of his own within the scriptures. Um, We have looked at three of the first group of four in the inner circle, Peter, Andrew, James, using Matthew's order in Matthew 10, verse 2 through 4, and we continue to follow that. So let's look at the fourth apostle, the apostle John, um, looking at three aspects of his life. First, the man John. Second, the call of John. And third, the apostle John. The man John. Um, The name John means whom Yahweh loves or Yahweh has been gracious. John is one of many named John in the Bible, but certainly very distinct from the others that we will look at. John is the most common name in the United States. In fact, we name unidentified cadavers as John Doe's. There is John, the son of Zacharias, of Elizabeth, in Matthew chapter 3, uh, 1, 4, and 13. He is the forerunner of Christ. He is the voice crying in the wilderness, according to Isaiah. Um, he was the cousin of Jesus Christ. He's known as John the Baptist. Um, there is John, the son of Mary, the sister of Barnabas, surname Mark, known as John Mark. Uh, he witnessed the church gather in his house when he was young in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 12, verse 12. The angel led Peter out of prison and Peter went there. He accompanied Barnabas and Saul to the first missionary journey, but he turned back for whatever reason. Maybe he was too young, fearful, I don't know. When they got to Perga uh, in Pamphylia, he headed back. And um, that event in Acts 13, 13 later became a subject of strong contention between Barnabas and Paul in Acts 15, 37 to 41, when they wanted to go back and do the second missionary journey <clears throat> to see how all the brethren they had reached in the first one were faring. There was a good thing about it and a negative thing about it. First of all, Paul was right. You don't want to take a chance on someone who's wimped out. In the mission field, in the mission field, you're out there. You're not there for practice. And at the same time, Barnabas, because he's the uncle of John Mark, he takes a chance on him. Okay, the mission field, double. Fine. But we shouldn't, we shouldn't just ignore the problems that people can bring when they're not um, faithful to the Lord and then we see also God's grace, but we don't just ignore those things. It's important to look at them. Now, he later became the subject of, of strong contention, as we said. But as you follow the, the, the epistles at the end of Paul's life, he says, by the way, bring John Mark to me. He's a benefit from ministry. So he grew up, he got mature, and it worked out. You know, some people, people went out at first, and you have to deal with it. And then other, later on, they catch on. Others are faithful, and then they deflect, and they never come back. 
You have all kinds of potentials. Now, he is the author of his gospel of Mark. And there was John, the kinsman of Annas, the high priest. In um, Acts chapter 4, verse 6, as you know, he was one of many who um, uh, confronted Peter and John after being um, arrested from from the um, healing of the lame man at the gate of the temple called Beautiful. And so there was, as we've seen already studying the first three, uh, John had uh, inroads and connections with the high priestly family. He, along with others, wanted to know what, by what power or name they had done miraculous things um, to the Samaritans and stuff like that. And um, it, was, it was always the, the idea of this elitism by the leaders because they were the scholars, as we've seen the scribes, Pharisees, and so on and so forth. And, um, but the, the book of Acts says, and they took notice that they had been with Jesus. All right? I would take a person that has been with Jesus, meaning born again, growing, developing, more than any seminary student. Now, I've gone to school in the world, and I've gone to school and seminary also. After God did the work, not before. I didn't go back to school to find out what God could do. I went back to learn. And I'm glad I did because I realized how messed up they are. Okay? If churches were teaching the word of God, there would be no need for seminaries. You will learn more here in one year than, than a seminary student two to three years will about the Bible. In Fuller Cemetery or APU. I've been there. I'm not talking out of my head. All right? It's real simple. There's also John the Apostle, the son of Zebedee, that we are talking about now. Um, he's also indicated in Mark 119. And he is the fourth of the last first group of apostles. He is one of the twelve apostles chosen by Jesus for uh, an entire night in prayer in Luke six twelve through 13. So, I mean, this was not a light matter that Jesus took upon himself. Uh, he, um, he prayed all night. When's the last time you prayed all night about anything? Or I. Jesus did this stuff to show us that there's sometimes that we need to do this stuff because we need the wisdom of God and we need to wait upon God. And the being as a man, he depends on the Father to get the things done. And we have to do the same thing, ladies and gentlemen. But see, it's a lot easier to call up the church. Hey, can I ask, can I talk to Pastor Xavier? Can I talk to Pastor Tony? I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying you have to wrestle with things in life to make sure you know it's you and God. Very, very important. Um, the last thing we would ever want to do is be an impediment to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, he is one of the three in the inner circle of Jesus, privileged to be present at the raising of uh, Jairus' daughter, as you know, the transfiguration and the agony of the garden. Uh, great privileges. He is... Um, Listed last in Matthew of the inner circle four, third in Mark and Acts, and last in Luke. So the order changed a little bit, but again, that's why you compare them all. Now, let's, let's look at the home of John. John was one of those two sons of Zebedee, um, the other being James, as we've seen. And John is often called the brother of James, reinforcing that he was probably the older of the two. 
and uh, most likely indicating this very, very clearly as you look to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and even some of John. Um, John, however, seems to have had the prominent place in the church of Jerusalem. In Acts, James is called the brother of John. John is called the pillar of the church, one of the pillars of the church, by Paul in Galatians 2.9. So again, the various things that are stated gives us an idea of their position, their influence, their importance, but never, never in competition. Okay, This is what happens, ladies and gentlemen, whether it be ministry, whether it be your job, whether it be your family, okay? I always use the, the, the illustration of music. You know, I grew up in the 60s. I love Motown. I mean, that's the way I go. You know what I mean? And the only group that understood that a group is a group was the Four Tops. Everybody else got a bit hit and they wanted to go on their own. They got jacked up. As long as you understand your position, you don't get a fat head. You don't think you're better than someone else. Everything works. The man of the husband thinks he's better than the wife. It doesn't work. The man of the wife thinks she's better. It doesn't work. The man of the kids thinks they're better. It doesn't work. There's the problem. What's the heart of it? The heart. Desperately wicked. Pride. Self-importance. Do you think these dirty dozen are any different? No way. No way. John's mother is believed to be Salome, the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus, noted in our study in James, making them again cousins with Jesus, even as John the Baptist. In Matthew fifteen forty and John fifteen twenty five. So it's interesting that, that you read all these years and you study, but if you don't look critically, you don't realize the family connection there is in all these individuals, brothers and family members, and God uses that many, many times. Um, John was um, a fisherman along with his brother James in the family business of their father Zebedee, as you know, in Bethsaida of Galilee. And um, some of you were there in Israel with us, and we were there across the Sea of Galilee. And the family business was prosperous with uh, several boats, as we've noted before. And also, uh, John came from a well-to-do economic level. Mark one twenty. John's mother, Salome, the wife of Zebedee, along with other women, ministered of their substance to Jesus and the disciples. Matthew 27, 55 and 56 and Mark 15, 20 to 41 tells us. So as Jesus traveled, there was this group and company of people and the ladies went along. They, they, they gave some of their money and they did the chores and all that. Now, you've got to read the Gospels. You've got to look what's happening, okay? John's family was partners with Peter and Andrew, as we've learned. The business was not only prosperous, but had expanded from its inception, uh, Luke 5.10. I'm sure they started with just one, and then it grew, and then they got servants, plural, and boats, plural. So it expanded. So we as Christians, now they're not Christians at this point, but we as Christians should be diligent in our work. There's nothing with getting ahead. What's wrong is making that the goal of your life at the expense of your relationship to Christ or your family. Is that clear? All right? The priority is the Lord, the family, your marriage, your children. You can make all the money you want, guys. If you lose your family, your relationship with the Lord, it means absolutely nothing. Okay? Very, very important. 
John's family was known by the high priest, as we said, and the reason being is he could enter into the courtyard, um, get Peter in there in John eighteen fifteen, And um, uh, so we often have the picture of the apostles as being very poor um, for the most part. But by our study, we have seen and are seeing that uh, per se that wasn't the case. Um, Peter and Andrew, James and John, by the standards of that day, were a prosperous family business for themselves. If you have a construction company and you have uh, five employees and you have a couple of trucks, you're, you're doing pretty good, better than the average person, right? It's the same thing. Matthew was a tax collector, therefore was of considerable wealth by the custom of extracting more than was due. Up to this point, we see that five of the twelve were not poor, as we perhaps have often been taught or thought. If we exclude Judas Iscariot, even though he stole from the treasure box, the word pilfering in the old King James, it means that 45.5% of the apostles up to this point had a fairly good economic level prior to being called to follow Jesus. Now, having said all this, this does not mean that the apostles were wealthy or more, or, 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 or that they wore designer jeans like the positive confession teachers and faith women teach us, um, corrupting the word of God because they want to teach that it is your divine right to be healthy and wealthy. And we've seen it mutate and transmutate over and over again from just positive words that you say to then even saying you can point the day that you're dead and then your little gods and on and on and on and on and on. Now, a lot of these corrupt teachers, Fred Price, Copeland, Hagen, and uh, many of the new whippersnappers that are taking their place get further and further out. Do I hate these men? Nope. This is not gossiping or slandering. Gossiping and slandering is what you're doing to maliciously to malign, and it's false. I am warning you about false teachers. I am responsible for that. If I hung out with these guys, I'd probably like them. But I don't like their doctrine. Now, we can better understand when Peter said, Lord, we have left all in Matthew 19, 27, Mark 10, 28, Luke 18, 28. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory... You who follow me will also sit in twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, wives, children, or land, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Matthew nineteen twenty-eight and 29. First thing Jesus does when he comes back, we already looked at in the second coming of Matthew 24. He judges Israel, the twelve tribes of Israel, twelve thrones. The apostles sit on them. Then he has the judgment of the nations in Matthew 25. This is the problem. We left all. All is all. Somewhere along the line, you say yes to Jesus and you left all. You left all. Some of the things that you left behind were economic. Not always. But you made a time. Uh, there was a time and a 
turn that you said, okay, I'm going to live for Jesus. It doesn't mean that you didn't work hard anymore. It doesn't mean you didn't pursue getting educated. It doesn't mean that you can't have certain goals. But they're not the priority of your life. And all of a sudden now, your goal is the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Then everything's added onto you, right? So I live in the world, but not of the world. Uh, the boat belongs in the water, but when the water gets in the boat, the boat gets in trouble, right? All right? Many times Christians are accused of being, you know, you guys have no goal, there's no nothing, you just want to get by. No, 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 I want to be the best in everything that I do for Jesus, you understand? Okay? And I'm glad I grew up in the, in the streets in the world because, you know what? Most people won't think they can shoot their mouth up and take advantage of Christians. You don't do it here. It doesn't happen. Okay? We're here to serve you. I'm a servant, not a doorman. It's real simple. Okay? Your Lord is the Lord, not me. Very, very, very important, ladies and gentlemen. So the brother of John, James, both sons of Zebedee, John and James, again, like Peter and Andrew, uh, being brothers, were different. Yet they had many similarities, I'm sure, at the same time. Both had the same parents' upbringing, probably the same friends even, for the most part. And both had uh, the same trade. They were fishermen. Uh, Both were disciples of Jesus. Both were chosen to be apostles of Jesus. And both were different in order to be unique in the purpose and plan of God. You are you. There is none like you. The problem today is everybody wants to be like everybody else. And not just this generation. In the 60s, somebody started wearing bell bottles. So then everybody wore bell bottles. In the, in the 70s, everybody had big old naturals. I had one. Okay? My hair was just curly. I work in L.A. at 1130 Figueroa. They're at the Bank of America at the Data Processing Center. I'd get into the elevator. I work graveyard from 11 to 7, then go to school. And uh, black chicks, they get in there. They go, wow, is that your hair? I said, yeah, it's my hair. I just shake it out. What's the matter with you? I don't put no Afro-Sheen on nothing. That's my hair. Um, but you're unique. Today, everybody said, well, you know, I want to express myself. So today is tags, right? You're like everybody else. People are followers, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the club. When you become a Christian, you step aside. You know who you are. You do not need to join the circus. The Christian church never has. Very important. There could be no greater example of two brothers being raised in the same home and at the same time being so different. Ready? Cain and Abel. We want to blame the environment. We want to blame mom. We want to blame dad. Shut up. Not there is some fault there sometimes. Okay? Listen, there will be no sociologists and no psychologists in the millennial kingdom. Thank God. John type individuals have a stability about them. John type individuals can appreciate their older or younger brother. They're not competing. John type individuals are individuals, yet they are themselves one of many. John type individuals are in the background. They don't need to be up front if God doesn't have them, and yet they're very effective. They're used greatly. No big deal. 
This was um, the man John. Second comes the call of John. Um, the call of John came at the Sea of Galilee, as you know, just similar to the ones that we studied already. Matthew 4, 18 through 22. Jesus had just called two brothers in 18 and 19. They were walking by the Sea of Galilee there, and Simon called Peter and Andrew's brother. They were um, casting their nets in the sea. Um, they were fishermen. And, um, and Jesus says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Um, that was the lingo that they would understand, right? That he, Jesus speaks to you right where you're at. Um, uh, if you're a dealer, he says, I'm going to make you a dealer of the gospel. How's that? Okay. Um, you, you pimping girls? I said, I'll make you pimp of the kingdom of God. All right. He's going to speak to you where you're at. You understand? Okay. He's going to speak to you. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the sons of Zebedee. And John, his brother, in the boats of Zebedee, their father, they were mending their nets, and he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him, declaring two things. They immediately left their boats and their father, and they followed Jesus. They left the pursuit of their lives and followed the pursuit of Jesus. Once again, you don't quit school. You don't quit your job. You continue to do what God has given you and what he has given to you. Be responsible, a good steward of it. And if God calls you out to do something, he will show you. Not the pastor, not the elders, not some guy that just dropped some acid or anything else. All right? God is going to speak to you. Very important. The call of John came at the Sea of Galilee. It's supplemented by the other Gospels. Mark only adds the fact that they had hired servants in Mark 1.20. Luke tells us that when John and James saw the great catch of fish, their boats began to sink, as we've seen before. Um, and Peter confessed his sinfulness before the Lord. And um, the Lord told Peter, do not be afraid. From now on, I will, you will catch men. And they brought their boats in the land. They forsook all to follow him. There was a point in time in my life, I heard the gospel. In 1973, I became born again. I was going to, I just, uh, uh, my last year of Cal State LA, I had my Kung Fu studio and that. And, and here we are. And I was starting to share with a lot of our friends that we grew up with and partied with in Ballin Park and everything else. And. And there's, you know, transition. Then God brought my wife and we got married. And, you know, here we are. We're moving along. And, and, and God began to direct and guide. And we're saying, what are we going to do? Now, we continue to minister the gospel. I continue to work and go to school, do everything. But there was a point in time where God began to do things in a very natural way, one step at a time. And three years later, I was in ministry. But that, to me, is just a miracle. I didn't plan on it. I didn't go to school for this. I, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't me. If a man puts himself in ministry, God help the people. God help the people. And so, John himself supplements the call of Jesus on his life in his own gospel as he records himself to be the mysterious and nameless disciple along with Andrew, two disciples of John the Baptist, as they were being pointed to Jesus in John one thirty five through 40 because John... John was trying to be enticed by his disciples. Look, many disciples are going to him. He said, I'm not the groom. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. I must decrease. He must increase. Wow. John, by his own admission of being pointed to Jesus earlier, 
It says the Galilee calm was his second calm, like it had been for Andrew and Peter. So as you look at the Gospels, you have to put them in and see the timeline and see what's going on. Jesus loves to work in and with family and his, as his instruments to reach the world. Uh, you look at the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Jesus also works through people movements <clears throat> as he pours out the Spirit at different times in history. In our particular case, we are the sovereign work and grace of God through the Jesus movement of the late Pastor Chuck Smith, who came out of the Foursquare Ministries because of all the carnality and all the uh, extreme Pentecostalism, and God called them to teach the Word of God. And um, God blessed it. God just did an incredible work. Now, every movement, every denomination will not last. Real simple. Ready? It's made up of you and me, people. Everybody's excited when God begins to do a work. But then people think they know better than God. And they start choosing. So the herd becomes great, and then it thins out. And next generation, God does it all again. It must be depressing for God, if he could get depressed. <laughs> if I was God, I'd just smoke us. Forget it. It's the same, it's like watching a, 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 a preview over and over again. Amazing. Many of us are in ministry today as a result of God's outpouring and what he did through the late Pastor Chuck Smith. But it's individuals that heard the voice of God. Chuck didn't tell people to go. He just, if you feel God's sending you, go. People come to us and say, God's sending you? Go. Drop us a line. I don't send anybody. Acts 13 says that the Holy Spirit says, separate unto me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work of the ministry. I have called them. The church just said, okay, Go. <laughs> You see men get in the position of power. And they start thinking they know better than God. And they start building their kingdom. And they start lording over people. That does not exclude Calvary chapels, by the way. Okay? I, I'm just a Christian. That God's called. This is just the church of Jesus Christ. The name means nothing. Absolutely nothing. And so the call of John is like that of Andrew, Peter, and James, a call to internship and apprenticeship. How are we doing? Are you growing, developing, maturing? The joy of the Lord with you in spite of the difficulties? Are you involved? You're getting sucked into all kinds of carnality, divisions, all kinds of different things? Hmm. Alexander the Great was asked how he had conquered the world. He replied, by not delaying. Procrastination. Don't put off for tomorrow what you can do today. I try to be doing two, three, four, five different things at the same time. So I can get things accomplished. If I take one thing at a time, I'll, I'll probably get a quarter of the things done in my life. I have plenty of time to sleep when I take my last breath. <laughs> it's important. Do not delay. Procrastinate. The call of John was in... Uh, the course of his daily profession, so often it is with you and I. Um, again, I was um, 
going to school and had my studio. I was working at Johnson Pump over there. The, now on Lone Hill is a Chevy dealer that used to be Johnson Pump. Uh, I worked cement. I ran computers. I was a high school teacher um, in terms of uh, gymnastic coach and that. Uh, a lot of different things, okay? Um, but I, God had called me. He tuned my ear. I had to step out. There was a place where I had to step out. Jesus met them where they were at. I will make you fishers of men. Jesus accompanies uh, the necessary gifts according to the measure of grace so that no one can boast and be lifted in pride. Romans twelve three says, here's the problem. We get so lifted with pride. All of a sudden, God is doing a thing we think we're doing. Listen, you're not the source. You are the problem. You're not the source. You're not the solution. I am always the problem. And so are you. People through the years, again, remember, 45 years? People that were the greatest. And then you just confirm on something. Man, they will backbite you, slander you. If they could, they tar and feather you. In Jesus' name, of course. <laughs> hmm. The call of God on man is never the problem. It's the lack of faithfulness, faithful contentment of the man. At times, men call uh, call themselves out of their calling to do things that God never called them to do. What are they saying? They're saying this. God, you know, I really deserve much more. You really have shortchanged me. So I'm going to take a little sidestep here. I think I can do a better job. So they go from pastors to motivational speakers to promoters to beggars. And they build their kingdom. Wow. If I really thought that you'd get bent out of shape, I wouldn't have this building with just one bathroom. If you're here, I know it's not for the bathrooms. <laughs> if you're here, I know it's not for the parking. Everybody goes looking for churches, bathrooms, children's facilities, parking. And is it non-judgmental? Welcome to the Church of Laodicea. Wow. Hmm. Maybe I'm just getting old, but I don't think so. At other times, they begin to operate outside their gifts, and they work on their talents, their abilities, and... They start becoming actors walking around, little Michael Jackson thing and everything, you know, just, you're a pastor, take the word of God seriously. These are God's people. Respect them. Wow. They become organizers and fundraisers rather than shepherds to feed the flock. Nothing new. Peter said that. Chapter 5, 1 Peter, Ezekiel 34, warns the shepherds don't feed the flock, but they feed themselves. They become celebrities rather than servants. I'm told, I don't look at these things. I'm told there's pastors in the gym. Here I am, this and that. I don't want to see you in the gym. What do I care about the gym? Or you're surfing. Or you're this or you're that. Amazing. It's embarrassing. They make the same mistake, bringing hurt to themselves as Uzziah, who offered incense to God when he wasn't supposed to, it was a priestly duty. So God struck him with leprosy in Second Chronicles 26, 16 through 23. But he said, no, 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 I'll do what I want. 
Then he had to be living in his own hired house as a leper while his son reigned. Wow. Amazing. Celebrities. They get empowered with their own might. It's um, a great mistake. A great mistake. This is what God will do. Listen to me carefully. Would you desire anybody else? God will judge you in one of two ways as a Christian. He will let you fall under the consequences and humble you. Or, if he knows your heart, he'll give you over to where you're pursuing and it will destroy you. One of the two. You get to choose. Wow. The call of God, though it sees potential, it's not due to the potential in the man, but God's grace and sovereignty. Again, you're not the source. God is indebted to no person. <clears throat> God is dependent on no person. God is able to use any person. Paul put it this way. All oh, the depths, the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Who has first given to him that it should be paid him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Romans eleven thirty three thirty six. 36. Did you get that? Don't touch God's glory. Stay completely away from it. His holiness... Wrap your arms around it to complete opposite things. Very, very important. And so this was the call of John. Third, it leaves us in last with John the Apostle. Um, John, like James, was a strong, aggressive, and zealous individual, but the lesser of the two. Uh, Jesus, uh, remember, had given them... Um, the title of Sons of Thunder in Mark 3.17. Mark alone gives them this particular characteristics. And I don't think it was because they were um, flower children um, or pacifists. Uh, once again, as I said earlier with James, um, um, you didn't mess with these guys. When they were usually together and when they walked down Galilee, if, if they were coming straight down the side of the street, you probably went on the other side. You certainly wouldn't try to cheat them on their fish or anything else. Um, these guys were nobody to be messed with, I'm sure. Um, you would be foolish to endeavor that. Jesus one day, as he was, um, um, as we pointed out, was uh, rejected by the Samaritans in Luke 9, 51 through 56, because Jesus was headed towards Jerusalem. And um, in 51 through 53, um, James and John, they, 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 they saw the reaction of the Samaritans uh, that they didn't receive Jesus for that very fact that he was headed towards Jerusalem. Um, and in 54, it says, when the disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy man's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village, 55 and 56. In other words, John and his brother James thought they were of the spirit of Elijah. Now, when Elijah said that, it was right. God was dealing with him with the prophets of Baal. God told him, gave him instructions. 
So you cannot duplicate another person's ministry. You have to duplicate and do what God has called you to do. Not imitate somebody else. John and his brother were naturally yielding to their carnal flesh. Confusing it with spiritual zeal. John and his brother were impatient in their spirits and intolerant in their thinking. And sometimes Christians as well as ministers or elders, they do things out of the flesh, carnal, and they attribute it to the spirit. Some people are, are headstrong, they're pushy, and they say, God has called me to this ministry, you've got to let me in. Go away. That's not the Lord. Or we will confront people because we have to with the way they're conducting themselves and whatever. They say, well, that's my gift. No, God's not the other confusion. And people try to point their spirituality when it's carnality. Welcome to the club of the human race. That's why we have the word of God, ladies and gentlemen, young people. To drop the plumb line and it applies to every one of us. Every one of us. John was a very ambitious individual. One day John and his brother petitioned for the rain. We've gone through this before with James in Mark, Mark 10, 35 through 45. And John being one of the inner circles again, he thought he had the special privilege in James also. And so they went to Jesus and said, we want you to do whatever we ask in verse 35 there of Mark 10. Whatever? A, a blank check? Wow. They must have really thought they were in the inner circle. James and John petitioned to sit on the right hand and the left hand in his glory. Very specific because they know he's going to Jerusalem, right? Going to knock off Rome. We're going to set up the kingdom. Hey, let's get our bid in. Of course, they had been there for the raising of Jairus, the transfiguration. And uh, they were there also on the Mount of Olives. So why not? You know, we, we are in. John later would be one of the four um, there. Uh, Again, uh, with them and the Mount of Olives and the, where Jesus expounds on the second coming completely. The strange combination of aggressive zeal, ambition, and sectarian attitude um, of these ruffians misled them. And yet, at the same time, they were kind of mama's boys because they brought their mommy to make an intercession in case Jesus told no to them. Amazing. All you have to do is look at football. Those big guys would say, Hi, Mom. My dad. Interesting. I wonder if they didn't get some of these traits from their mom. Moms, you have a lot of influence at home with your children. Remember Jacob? Jacob was a rat to start with. But then Rebecca was a bigger rat. She corrupted him even more. Wow. Jesus, knowing their motive for personal benefit, asked if they, were, uh, if they knew what they were asking and if they were able to drink of the cup and the baptism that he was about to be baptized with. And without hesitation, in verse 38 and 39, they said, oh yeah, we're able to. Wow. They were self-centered individuals who were ambitious. Um, but their ambition was to be great, thinking of themselves 
because they believed they were greater than the other ten. You know the favorite conversation through the ministry, right? The first three and a half years is, who's the greatest in the kingdom, right? Well, that conversation still goes on among Christians and pastors. Hasn't ceased. Hmm. Jesus, when he prophesied about how John and his brother James would partake of the sufferings of Christ and drink of the cup, um, um, they didn't realize he was prophesying. Remember, John and James um, thought Jesus was going to Jerusalem. So all they had was, bam, we're going to rule. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant. They were ticked off. Why? Because the two beat the ten to it again. All twelve of them had the same thing in mind. Always who is the greatest in the kingdom. Ambitious, presumptuous, self-centered. The dirty dozen. This is all before Pentecost. Prior to the resurrection. So John was very ambitious as a person. Wanting to be great and had a strong, aggressive personality. To go for things. Not considering the damage it would cause. And this is the thing with people that are capable and able and pushy and everything because of the culture we live in it's all about you me 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 i love myself really and this whole self-esteem from the 70s on has turned into just uh, a nauseous vomit about the personality of people there's no heroes there's no humility there's there's all there is is thugs and corrupt people. We're in a, in a terrible time in our history, ladies and gentlemen, and if you don't see it, you will not be able to escape the corruption of it. Very important. Now, John, being a very strong, aggressive, zealous, ambitious person, likewise, as he gave his life to Christ after Pentecost, he became a great instrument of God. John one day told Jesus, Teacher, we saw one casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he followed us not, in Mark 9, 38 and Luke 9, 49. And Jesus told him, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me, for he who is not against me is on our side, Mark, 3, Mark 9, 39 and 40. So now, when we speak against someone, we're exposing it for false doctrine. Not that we have anything against them personally, okay? But if they're preaching the gospel and they're not teaching heresy, then so be it. No big deal. John leaned forward in, um, in, in towards intolerance and exclusiveness and sectarianism as we've seen and um, again, he yielded to the Lord's transformation after Pentecost. He could have said no. Because God doesn't force you, right? John could have continued to be the person before Pentecost. Or after Pentecost, decide to yield to the power of the Spirit of God. It's a choice, ladies and gentlemen. John, in his selfish ambition, saw the secret of greatness. Not in serving, but in being served by others till Pentecost. Then he realized the greatness is in serving, not in being served. 
That's a lesson you and I have to learn every day of our lives. Pastors more so. More so. John and Peter were the instruments to heal the lame man at the gate called Beautiful, as you know, in Acts 3.1. Silver and gold have I none, such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Everybody wanted to give them credit. What are you guys looking at us from our part? If this man stands whole by the faith in Jesus Christ. Wow. That's good. John and Peter went down to Samaria to confirm the report that they had received the gospel. They laid hands on him. The baptism of the Holy Spirit fell upon him in Acts 8. They were just instruments. They were just people behind the scenes. Not wanting the attention. John, in his exclusiveness, saw that there was room for the Gentiles to be included in the church, apart from the law, and witnessed the grace of God over the Gentiles at the first church council, giving Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, along with Peter and James, the Lord's brother, all being pillars of the church, Acts 15 and Galatians 2.9. They learned to be servants. Do you think that it was as cruise control? No, they had to do it every day. You know that Paul rebuked Peter up in, in, in Antioch, right? Because Peter was a cool little Christian. And all of a sudden, the Jews came from Jerusalem. He tipped it over to the kosher table, left the pork chop down, and went over there. And they rebuked him, got in his face. Right? Paul rebuked Pope Peter? No, he rebuked Peter. He's not Pope. If Pope was the first, if Peter was the first Pope, he had to be at least 350 years old. Because Constantine corrupted the church in 312. And Christianized the whole Roman world. By force, by the way. Now, John in his openness to turn all those sinful qualities over to the Lord... Is being transformed from day to day, from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. John is known as a disciple of Je- that Jesus loved in his gospel, chapter 13, 19, 20, and 21. John is identified by his own pen at the Last Supper as the one who leaned on Jesus' bosom, one of the disciples whom Jesus loved, eager to learn. John 13, 23. John was the only apostle at the cross and Jesus committed his mother Mary to John being sympathetic. It says when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, meaning John, behold your mother. And from that hour on, that disciple took her into his house. John 19, 26 and 27. Very special place for John. John and Peter were told by the woman at the tomb that the body of Jesus had been taken away from the tomb. And both of them ran, and John outran Peter because he was younger, in John 20, verse 1 through 8. John stooped down and looked. He didn't want to go in to be defiled. In verse 5, verse 6 and 7, Peter just ran right in and just saw the napkin folded, and then John followed afterwards. Different individuals. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was the one at the Sea of Galilee, recognized the Lord's voice first and telling Peter, it is the Lord in John 21, 7. John was made uh, a rumor by the disciples that he would not die till the Lord returned. Who spread the rumor? Peter. Read John 21, 20 through 22. Nothing new, right? (laughs) Amazing. 
John was used by the Lord to be the author of five books. The Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the book of Revelation. In these books, he is characterized by certain words. Love, 83 times in its various forms. Life, 56 times. Uh, light, 31 times. And witness, testify, and record, 79 times. John is the true and faithful witness of Jesus to all that read the book of John and his writings. Faithful man. So John, according to tradition, was the only apostle who died of old age around 98 A.D. Tradition, not the Bible. Tradition tells us that John never left Jerusalem till Mary died. John, according to one of the church fathers, in the first 300 years, the church fathers were right on. Now, the Gnostics were going on already from Alexandria, but the church fathers were faithful to the word of God. It's after 300, things started going bad, real bad. They were already going bad with the Gnostics, but I'm talking about those who call themselves church fathers, okay? After 300, the church fathers come from the Catholic church, a whole different thing, okay? So tradition tells us that John never left Jerusalem till Mary died. And John, according to Tertullian, went to Rome, was plunged unhurt into boiling oil, and then exiled to the island of Patmos. John, in his old age, was the pastor of Ephesus, as we know, after years of leadership in Jerusalem, uh, where he is said to have written the five books. Irenaeus tells us that John opposed the heretic Serinthus of the Gnostics and in his old age, and when he could not speak any uh, more with the former vigor, uh, was carried in to the meetings and simply said repeatedly, little children love one another. It has been said, the only apostle that did not become a servant of Jesus became a traitor of Jesus, Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot are not outside the church. They're inside the church. The greater enemy is inside the church, not outside the church. Are we clear on this? God takes men and women, even as he took John, strong, aggressive, zealous individuals, and enables them to trust not in their own righteousness, but to know the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death and be more like Christ, as Paul says in Philippians 3, 8 through 11. Every day, ladies and gentlemen, every day. Jesus is not interested in what you are as much as he is in what you become by yielding to him. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beg you by the mercy of God, you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not fashioned, metamorphosed. Be not fashioned to the world, but be transformed, metamorphosed by the renewing of your mind to prove what is a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That is the conclusion of all the doctrinal section. From that point on, he goes into the practical section of daily living. Wow. The principle was stated by John, he must increase, I must decrease, John 3, 30. 
God takes men like John who are ambitious and makes them ambitious for the kingdom and things of God. John 3.33 Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. My goal is the kingdom of God. It has not stopped me from working hard, working long, working with my own hands, and I work as hard in the ministry. You know, I have spent all my life in a cave, the last 45 years, in a room. That's what I do. Study and pray and prepare to feed you. Now, if God was say, hey, X, how would you like to be my servant? Sure, God. Okay, I want you to spend 88% of your life, you're going to be in a room. What has God called you to be, ladies and gentlemen? you consider it a privilege? Hmm. John was a good listener. Seems to be better than the others. John stays closer to Jesus than any other. John was a good observer. Better than others. John learned from the rebukes of Jesus. Not being sectarian, intolerant, or self-seeking. Seeking for greatness. John came to be known as the apostle of love. John lived longer than any other. He was used tremendously. Take all these under the control of the Holy Spirit. A passion for God. His truth. That man will be an uncompromising, effective tool. And powerful words of Jesus revealing his love. And you will blow people away. You want to do it your way? You'll repel people. I do it my way, I repel people. Listen, there's enough people not going to like you if you're for Jesus. You don't, you don't have to add to your own hurt. <laughs> that comes naturally. This was John, the apostle. Great lessons for us from this fourth apostle, John. Focusing on the three aspects of his life. The man, John. The call of John. And the apostle, John. Very simple. Very straightforward. It's not an MBA. Not a PhD. Listen, it's life. It's life. Lord, thank you for your grace. Your love, your goodness, your patience with us, Lord. We pray, Lord, we would continue to be faithful to you from the pulpit as well as the pew. And that you would be glorified in this location as long as you desire. That regardless of what goes on in our lives, regardless of how old or young we are, that, that is irrelevant to you. For you are the one that does the work. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're out there somewhere in the world, Germany, Switzerland, France, Mexico, somewhere in the United States, if you don't know Christ, God is asking you right now, do you want to be my disciple? Do you want to be forgiven for your sins? I died for your sins. I tasted death for every person. Then I rose from the dead to guarantee that what I tell you is absolute truth. I have the keys of hell 
and death. If you agree with God, you're a sinner. You can call upon him. He'll forgive you right now and make you a child of God. Maybe you're over the internet or maybe you're here, the balcony or the floor. This is your prayer to him, not to us. We cannot make you new. He, he's the only one. If this is your desire, it's your response to his initiation by his grace. This is your prayer of repentance. He's going to save you right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.